when you confront death at age 22, everything changes. It got me thinking about what I wanted to do before I actually die, because life is unpredictable. Can you relate? I'm Kiki Kelly, and this is my story. My friend Amy Hallberg thought I should share some of my stories with you. She'll be joining me here. Some are hard, some are funny, and some are just unbelievable. But they're all true. So here we are, Season 1, Episode 1. Tales from an inadvertent bucket list champ. Okay, first off, why am I doing this podcast? You know, it wasn't my dream in life to to talk about myself. That's that's not my point for being here at all. But how does it start? Well, it started with the near-death experience. And the medical stuff is only important in that I'm sure everyone's life is a surprise. Mine was very much a surprise to me. And maybe to give some hope to young people who are diagnosed with very serious illnesses or you know, given some kind of trauma or burden that seems too much to bear. So there's the hope part, but there's also, uh, for me, there's processing. You know, what is it that happened back then? Because that was really crazy and that was really early. And why did I, why am I asking my friend Amy to be here with me? Well, she's written a book it, that's that's literally been on every bucket list I've had, and it's it still remains there. It's it's kind of like the the holy grail for me. And she's also done a successful podcast. Um, I was interviewed on one of them, and so she came up with the idea that well, why don't you start with a podcast to tell your colorful stories, and then you can call from it for a book later. And I thought that was an amazing idea. And the fact that she was willing to help me with that and be my Virgil and guide me through hell like Dante, you know, but we're not going to stay there. We're not going to stay in hell. You know what I love about this is you've talked about how this is about not the death experience. It's about the full life that you've lived. It's about the living. Mm -hmm. And that how at 22, it really may have looked like life was over when in fact that was just the start. Right. And many other times in my life, I did think that life was over and that passed as well. And I was able to do even better things because of it. So I think it's important to share these stories. So the the entire podcast is really about being a bucket list champ. It's about doing the things that you want to do with your life, given the limitations that you have, given what you've been told you cannot do. So you know what? I think you've summed it up great. Let's get started. Okay. Looking back, there was that factory that you pointed to as potentially the source of everything. The illness, the understanding, everything that happened started in that factory in a certain regard. Does that feel true? It it does. I'm 99% sure that that's how it began. So you can't prove it. And legally, you have no rights, even if you did. But how did you start to work in a factory in the first place? That's a story in and of itself. So um, I wanted more than anything to study abroad. Um, and I'd gotten into the London program um, because I, by that time I had become an English major. 
So the London program was like go off campus for yes, for, for a the, term for the winter term. Mm-hmm. Um, so the summer prior to that, um, before that, I'd been like a lifeguard and a swim t- swimming instructor. Um, but my family had moved because my mother was doing research at various uh, universities. So I, my sister suggested that there was this factory. Um, she had already worked there. I think she'd already worked there summer or maybe a couple months or whatever. But um, she said, you know, it's a, it's a good way to make money. Quickly. A lot of money. Yeah, in a short amount of time. Mm. And normally I would never have gone for something like that, but I really needed that money to be able to travel. Before we move on, why would you not have considered a job like that before? You know, I didn't realize it at the time, but um, I, I always was kind of aware of what my resume was like I you haven't talked about going to the library and <laughs> and educating yourself on what one should do yeah it's a little Jay Gatsby-esque <laughs> um you know Kiki which, Gatsby yeah the great Gatsby um yeah I would actually go and take out books on manners and operas and I had before E.D. Hirsch um, came out with his dictionary of cultural literacy I had already made up my own list of the things that I thought I should know to be an educated and um, genteel person I guess. Got it but you would never have done that kind of thing right your previous job was as a lifeguard? Yeah, and a water Which, safety instructor, and I worked for the Red Cross doing blood drives. So, yes, it was always... Prestigious, in a way. Yes. I didn't even realize at the time that I was ambitious. But, I mean, hey, I, I was going for valedictorian, so, of course, I was ambitious. Right. You know, I, I went into the senior choir of my church at, in seventh grade. So, yeah, I was I was always ambitious. So, you were looking to the resume at that time. Correct. And so, I, I figured that the factory would be kind of a one-off Plus, right. I was working the night shift, and it was just going to be that one, just yeah. that one summer. But the factory surprised you. Oh, my gosh. So tell me about the hats. Okay, so there's a hierarchy in the factory, and um, the hierarchy goes, the blue hats are at the bottom, the yellow hats are in the middle, and the white hats are the folks who run the whole place and monitor everyone and everything and take all of the, they actually have a degree Okay, so you were not going to get a white hat. Not possible yet. Okay, and you started with a... Blue hat. Rhapsody in blue hats. <laughs> and what were you doing while you were wearing that blue hat? I or hard hats, right? I was wanting to stab myself with a plastic fork because <laughs> it was just this endless conveyor line. It was kind of like Laverne and Shirley, where they're sort of looking at the beer going by. In this case, it was a processed um, food kind of cold, frozen... Refrigerated Yeah, section. area. Yeah. And it just, I... I you use the term mind-numbingly boring. I could not do it. And because I you're somebody whose mind wants to do things. I, yeah, I couldn't even... It was, and the, and the, the items were going by so fast that, you know, it's not like I could, I could do a sequence pattern or make any games, and I didn't have time to think about other things to kind of make time go faster. It wasn't like lifeguarding. Um, I'm, I'm better at jobs where you're either on or you're off and you get kind of a balance. So I kept seeing these yellow hats um, when the conveyor belt broke or something, they'd come and fix it. But mostly they were just kind of walking around and laughing and stuff. And they were all, of course, they were all guys. Mm. Um, I did notice that. and, and Because all, it was just a man's job. 
supposedly fixing conveyor belts, and I found out later that the first hour of the day and the last hour of the 12-hour day, they used power hoses and cleaned down the machines with chemicals. And so it was kind of, yeah, it was considered a man's job. And, and the blue hats were mainly women. Okay. And what, what just, just so we got this <laughs> picture, what gender were the white hat people? They were both men and women. Um, really? Yes, yes. They, okay. But they were, they were people who had been trained, um, you know, in food manufacturing or manufacturing so the processes. white collar people were integrated white collar it's true they the did white they had white, and the white hats right they, yes they did but the working people were here's the man job and here's the woman job correct interesting yeah wow. well so i never intended a lot of things i do are are, are intuitive and, and i i just wanted to be out of the blue hat <laughs> so, <laughs> Get the blue hat off of me. I mean, seriously, there weren't there weren't as many hours. I didn't get paid as much. And I'm like, whoa, there's this 12-hour job seven days a week for the whole summer. Think of how much I can make for my travels. Oh, my gosh, that's a lot of work. But I didn't care about that. I just was right. like, I can do anything for, you know. A summer. Right. Wow. It was just a summer. and I was Just a summer. And I was 20 years old. Come on. Mm. So... Um, so I found out who the supervisor was of the yellow hats and, and just said, Hey, you know, if you have any openings, you know, can I try this out? And he laughed and said, sure. Uh huh. You know, it was just completely like a joke to him. Well, there was this football player guy. I think he did play college football. Um, big guy. And he got fed up for whatever reason or had a temper or tantrum or <laughs> anyway, he quit okay. and, and left them in a position where they had no choice but to hire you. Almost. Well, no, they didn't. No, they weren't going to just hire me. What happened was I found out I saw him leaving. I found out, you know, I had by then I had eyes and ears in the factory. I'd gotten to know a lot of the factory people and they were great. They were great people. You said this is a whole community. Oh, of my people. gosh. When you spend that much time together and you get to know each other on your 20 minute breaks and yeah. everyone was super nice and interesting and they had interesting stories to tell. And I really enjoyed it. So the first part of the summer is the pea pack. Peas ripen before uh, corn. Mm-hmm. The saying in Minnesota is, and probably any farming community is, um, knee high by the 4th of July. That's where <laughs> you want your corn to be. Okay. So, okay, so I had no idea. I didn't know anything about peas and corn or whatever, but I, I learned a lot. So the first the first half of the summer... <laughs> you have so much random knowledge. Can I just say that? so <laughs> random. I, my life is random. So, I yes, I just go where I'm called. So... I went to the supervisor and said, hey, I heard this guy quit. Um, here I am. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, you know, just really kind of ballsy, but I just kind of acted on my instincts. I'm, I'm kind of a gut instinct type of person. So here, yeah. I, here I am just saying, hey, here I am. And he looked at me like, are you crazy? But he also was like, fine, okay, we'll give you a try. And and all all the guys around him were laughing because they, and they normally would um, take you through kind of a training about showing you how to put, um, you had these yellow slickers and and how to wear the, the yellow gloves so that you don't get chemicals on you and how to use the power hoses. But the guy had quit in the middle of the night who had the job and they also agreed to give me a tryout, but they didn't think I could make they it. They weren't necessarily invested in your success. No, they wanted to laugh at me, and they, they really thought that I wouldn't be able to do it. So, <laughs> I mean, it Never just, underestimate Kiki. It was, 
it was just really obvious, and that made me mad. So that made me stick with it, even though I put the gloves on wrong. I ended up with, like, chemical burns on my arms and everything. But I finished it. I finished the job. It wasn't the fastest or, or anything. But they didn't have anyone else, and I had... So, and I didn't even really give them a choice. I got done, and I said to the supervisor, um, okay, I'll see you tonight at 6. And he was like, okay. <laughs> and then I went home and took a shower, and I cried, because the power hoses were really, really heavy, and my muscles ached, you know, like, and I had burns from the chemicals, and I was just like, oh my god, what am I, what am I doing? <laughs> I just, but I had told him I'd be there at six, so I was there at six promptly, and I did the whole thing again, and before long, you know, the guys really accepted me into their group, and I just became one of the guys, and um, my father had been really good about teaching me basic things like basic car care, basic plumbing, blah, 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 so that I would never have to rely on anyone else should the car break down or, you know, I was able to do basic car care, basic plumbing, that kind of thing. And so I wouldn't be this helpless female. And they were both really good about that. So fixing conveyor belts was not a difficult part of that job. And the rest of the time was kind of telling stories and jokes and hanging around and and then of course you worked really really hard that first hour and the last hour of the day and thus went the first part of the summer and it just flew on by and you even had a romance you said um that was when the corn pack started so pea pack was done i'd gotten to know the factory regulars and then the corn pack is so overwhelmingly busy such a busy time that they have to bring in people from all over the world, which I was so surprised at. There was a nearby university, and they put them in the dorms. So these people were like, became my friends later, too, were from England, which wow. is hilarious, because so that's one of the, and I was, you know, going to study in England, so one of the people is actually still one of my great friends, and I've seen him multiple times. There were people from different states who were kind of itinerant, usually extreme sports type people who did skiing and so they wanted to fund their their lifestyle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Rock climbing and mountain biking. Working really hard at the at the pea pack and corn pack time. No corn pack make, time. Make a lot of money. Spend a lot of money. Go make a lot of money. Got it. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, all of a sudden, the first day of the corn pack had arrived, and I'm, I'm up in the upper area. It's like a balcony. There's a balcony, and you can look down, and I basically looked at who was doing my same job on the floor mm-hmm. at the same like same kind of machine doing the same kind of thing and it was this really really gorgeous guy <laughs> who will be called Mr. Montana and Mr. Montana and again <laughs> he's I, one of the great loves of your life yeah it was it's yeah mm. so, so tell me about Mr. Montana so how it started was I picked up a an ear of corn and um, flung it at him and it bounced (laughs) off of his yellow hard hat and that's how we started. (laughs) I just, I know, I can't believe I did that. That's very primal. um, Yeah, kind of was. I mean, no, it wasn't just kind of, it really was. I can't believe I did that and I can't believe he reacted well to it. He actually turned around and smiled and I waved. And then before long, he was sending me up little origami flowers that he, you know, with little notes and peanut butter cups. And um, we had a a timer because we had 20-minute breaks. And um, I figured out how we could go up on the roof. And it was beautiful because it was at night and there were stars. And we'd talk or other things. But you said that you're making out on the roof. Tell the truth. You're making out on the roof. He was so cute. So cute and so fun and oh, funny. Anyway, yeah. So uh, 
that happened. And then at the end of the corn pack, well, he came along with me back to college for the first few days of classes and actually went with me, which so I So he was, was really smart, huh? I mean, you talk about some of these people that you, you, you had some preconceived notions possibly of what people might be like in a factory. Yeah. You met a lot of very interesting people. Oh, yeah. Funny stories. I mean, everyone just had big personalities, and they were good, just good people with good hearts. And Do you think they were surprised by you, yeah. the college girl, too? Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I, I definitely was known as nerd, like, nerd girl. <laughs> totally, they were surprised. Okay, but Mr. Montana was kind of nerdy, too, right? I mean, you- yeah, he was studying environmental sciences, super ahead of where everyone else was as far as recycling and about using. He was very interested in organic farming and that kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> What's he doing now? He runs, uh, he has his own co-op. Wow. Yeah, on the West Coast. And uh, he's just, he's always been very consistent. So so you're, you're up on the roof making out. <laughs> oh, God, jeez. At the factory, yes. So at the end of the season, when you're going back to college, how did things end at the factory? Oh, literally overnight. And I had to go from being up all night, night shift to day shift. So it was, it was a really abrupt. Yeah. I worked right up until school started and mm. was barely awake for my first couple days of classes. And I was exhausted. And Mr. Montana came to college with you for a little he bit. He did for a few days before he had to leave. But, um, he met, yeah, he met my roommates and went to class with me. It's just so sweet. Yeah. Back in those days, we didn't have like cell phones. We actually wrote, you know, physical snail mail letters, and but it was lovely. Mm-hmm. Now, before you got back to college, yeah, how did the corn pack end? Something happened. <laughs> okay, so aside from um, fixing conveyor conveyor belts and having the like first hour of the day and last hour of the day be like the heavy duty cleaning of the machinery, we also spent our time when. The big, okay, the white hat that kind of like really ran our part of the operation was quite intimidating. His name is Big John. <laughs> <laughs> and he was, you know, he was big. He was big and, and older, and he just watched me all the time. And I thought, oh my gosh, he hates me. He hates me. So I was always on my very best behavior. But when he wasn't around, <laughs> um, I, I played around with everyone else. We figured out how to put in an ear ear of corn into um, one of the conveyor belts that had steam. I can't remember exactly what the machine was, but when it came out, if we, we got it out at the exact right time, it would be perfectly cooked, and we had butter and salt. <laughs> we would <laughs> eat corn on the cob. But that was definitely when, when Big John was not there. Now, I even got to work with the level of the brine for the, for the yeah. Wow. I mean, I got to do different things after a while. Um, but anyway, at the very end of the season, both the pea pack and the corn pack, Big John finally approached me, and I was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. He's going to tell me, like, just how lame <laughs> lame I was and how, you know, they couldn't find anyone else and never come back, right? So, but instead, he gives me this T-shirt of, like, 1977 corn pack. I mean, it was just this really weird little gesture. And then he said that since he'd been watching my numbers of the the mold levels and how much they had decreased on my machine, and from that he gleaned that he would only have a woman working on that particular machine. (laughs) (laughs) And so I was like, okay. 
kind um, of the right lesson. <laughs> yeah, you know, like, hmm, maybe some other woman would have to break through to the other side with the other machines, but anyway. <laughs> that machine was liberated. It was so funny. Anyway, and I was like, oh my gosh, you know, like, I was super touched because I really thought he hated me. Instead, he was... You know, impressed. he was impressed. So um, I was like, oh my God, my mold level is so low. <laughs> I'm so Yay. proud of myself. Oh my gosh. You had a low mold level. Oh, interesting. Because there was another surprise that came out of that summer too. Yes. One of the chemicals that we used to clean the machines was chlorine. Which you had been around a lot because you were a you were a, a when lifeguard. I w- yes. Sometimes I worked at lakes, um, but often I was at a pool, which had a ton of chlorine. So I was definitely exposed to chlorine for years. Mm-hmm. Um, but this particular day at the factory, you know, and there was, I didn't know that anything like that could happen, but there was a chlorine spill. What does that look like, a chlorine spill? I, You know what? I don't remember because I passed out and I woke up in the nurse's office and... Um, you know, very few words were said. I was given a piece of paper to sign, which probably was a waiver for any like uh, legal rights. Mm. Because probably I was, not legal for them to force you to sign it no, when you're incapacitated. But, I, but anyway, yeah. And I was 20 years old, and I didn't know any better, right. and I didn't think anything would happen out of that. Yet, a, right. a mere couple months later, at in college, I started to bleed internally, and it didn't stop, and it changed the course of my life. Yeah, you managed to graduate college, but you were sick from your junior year. So sick. On. Yes. I had a constant fever. Mm. I was bleeding 25 times a day. Every time I would go to the bathroom, there'd be blood. So I had to numb out and, and just try to get, get my schoolwork done. And it was crazy because I, I had to go to all these doctor appointments and I would never have been able to do it, but one of my English professors, Connie Walker, mm. oh, she's so wonderful. She would drive me to my appointments or x-rays, and then she'd take me home and, and give me tea and then bring me back to campus. And And then also the dean really helped me so that I didn't have to drop out. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had some incompletes that I was able to, to you know, finish. Right. It was just So that when you graduated from college... And you finally were about to go to teach for America. You thought you had made it past the worst. And in fact, the worst was Was right in front of you. I made it to to Oregon to visit my friend. And my colon burst. It just burst. And that's where we'll pick up next time. This is Amy Hallberg in partnership with Kiki Kelly. Thank you for listening to this episode of Tales from a Bucket List Champ. If you haven't already, please subscribe to this podcast and please share it with friends. We'll be back next time with Episode 2, Work Hard, Play Hard. We hope you'll join us. Until then, what's one item on your bucket list?